Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Heezy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abe Stein. It's me, not Jerry Thompson, not Mason Clark. Brand new show, basically. I, I, I'm so glad you brought this up, because this intro, I have this whole intro planned out, Abe, and I just want to give some special shout-outs. The first shout-out is to Jerry. Thank you so much for filling in for me and Abe at the last moment. Uh, second to Mason, thank you so much for, like, just getting stuff done. Like, that's, it's such a high quality to have as a person, to have that GSD mentality, Abe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, the amount that all of us do behind the scenes to make the show happen every week is a lot. Mason, Mason is a different breed when it comes to that. Mason will just, he'll find out in the 11th hour that, it's just going to be him, maybe, and there might not be a show. And he'll be like, let me see if I can get arguably the biggest name in uh, in, in Magic Podcasts to come hop on. Yeah. So huge shout out to them. And then shout out to you, the listener. If this is your second time listening to Constructive Criticism, welcome to the brand new show, I guess. It's, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're your new main characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a jarring and strange adjustment. Uh, but hopefully it's a good one. Hopefully you're here to stay. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, Mason is on vacation this week. Mason, uh, Abe was on vacation last week. Uh, I had a kind of rough family emergency. I appreciate everybody who reached out. I, I wanted to say that on the show. Just like, uh, it was very kind of Mason to just, I don't know, let, <laughs> I don't know that you need to like tell people how bad it was, but I appreciate you did. Cause I got, I got support. I needed as, uh, you know, let me just say this. Uh, old people get older and stuff happens. And like uh, my my uh, my wife's family situation is unique and she had to she had to leave town kind of like literally asked me literally the day before we were supposed to record like, hey, I need to leave. Can I leave? And I was like, you I will always support you like you always do you. So thank you to Mason for the accommodation and thank you to. Jerry for filling in. It, it meant a lot. So. With that being said, the point of this podcast is to be always improving. We want to be better every day than we were the day before. And that's that's a tall task. You're actually not going to achieve it. I don't think we say that enough on this show, Abe. That always improving is an impossible goal. And like holding yourself to the standard of actually always improving, it's not how it works. But it's the goal, right? It's that, it's that shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon type of goal. Yeah, you'll 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 improve if you keep doing it. Yeah. Speaking of improving, you uh, got a really cool opportunity, and I want you to talk about it. Yeah. So my always improving moment from uh, this week has been diving into the world of doing coverage. I was fortunate enough. Um, some things had come up uh, apparently on NRG's end. Um, mason's co-host for sunday morning um fell through they had no one uh but they had me mason mason uh reached out to me um vouched for me honorog also i want to say thank you big thank you to him vouched for me as well um to do coverage for the energy series um and that was like a really really huge opportunity and uh, it seems like I'm uh, likely going to be doing at least one more booth with Mason as well. 
um, down the line because that one went uh, so well, actually. Um, you know, something that Mason and I had done, like a practice coverage match just one time previously, and uh, like just us in like a Discord call hanging out, and uh, you know, he gave me some notes and then uh, was doing it live. And that was a really, really uh, cool experience, early opening one, but also in, um, you know, kind of seeing this as something that I might do, you know, might be doing more and more often, wanted to be uh, better at it. I found myself going back and watching just a little bit more magic coverage, um, you know, going back, watching old future matches, listening to them, um, and also just taking in some matches from, like, old pro tours that maybe I hadn't gone back and watched. And it's just been a really, really cool exercise in... Uh, in seeing the game not only through a different light of trying to um, broadcast it, but also just a good opportunity to go back and think through these games that I'm watching be played um, that I might or might not know the outcomes to, uh, and like the big moments in them, and really just just thinking about the game in a different different light while also doing a little bit of uh, of studying of some of the best ever do it. So uh, that was really. My always improving moment from the last couple of weeks has been really cool. I want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in or supported or said anything nice on Twitter about it or gave me constructive feedback um, as well. And I'm hoping we all keep doing it in the future. But yeah, that was that was me this week. So you you got to cover the legacy portion, um, and I was playing in a challenge at the time, so I didn't get to uh, watch as much of it as I wanted. Um, so like pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, uh, I, I've done magic coverage for local stuff, like, and but I'm like the backpack stream. Like, I'm actually making the stream, doing the transfers. I'm actually doing every single part while also either doing color or... Play-by-play? Play-by-play, thank you. And I, I actually find that I prefer play-by-play, like, just personally, um, when I'm doing that type of stuff, because it lets me stay in rhythm. And uh, I, I don't know, I just wanted to... Give you some advice that you probably already know, Abe, uh, live on the show. Uh, I only watched the part that I said that I watched it on Twitter, but I actually plan to watch more because I plan to play some legacy challenges here in the next few weeks. Um, but I actually think there is a specific goat of this that is underappreciated and often attacked, and that's Jeff Van Gundy. That if you want to watch, just watch Jeff and Mark. Like, I actually think they're just the best... The best duo in in all of commentary. Yeah, for sure. I I think there's like a lot to learn, and I, I, broadcast is so different from a lot of what I've done, um, especially in content. To be like making it work, and also having a, a not like how did you make this a dual duo dynamic? Even like this podcast, even when it has that, it's, it's so very different. Much two individual it, perspectives. You... It's so different to yeah. be coming across unified and communicating the same thing together rather than communicating in contrast with each other. And I think that, you know, not to get too in the nitty gritty about it, I think that uh, Mason and I had a good division of things in terms of play by play and color when we came in. It was a good guiding thing. I think I probably stepped on his toes a good amount when it came to color because that's the stuff that I I love thinking about the big picture and seeing those things happen. Um, and bring that out but I think that once I settled in I was incredibly nervous like the first round honestly going back and watching the first round I was like oh my god I actually think Marsh, I was so nervous I actually think Marshall does a really good job of this where uh, Marshall is really good at asking questions 
to help color rather than answering questions himself. Yes, yes. I think that Marshall is, he, he's almost so good at it that you forget that it's his job. Like, there are times where I've had players say that, like, oh, my God, I can't believe there's Marshall in the booth. Like, does this guy even know anything? And it's like, well, he, like, A, he doesn't have to know everything, and B, he probably knows a lot. And also, he's he's coming across he the way he doesn't know He knows to ask the question, right? Like, he, he actually knows yeah. this is an important moment to ask the question. It, it's crazy hard. Like, I've done, I've done, you know... We, we obviously our channel did RCQs in one case for Game Grid Lehigh. I've done them for Oasis. I've done them for other Game Grid locations. Um, I've you know I've done them for even our podcast stuff. And like the there is a real challenge of coverage and commentary that I, I think people under respect uh, that that bring life to a game that would not otherwise have a lot of life. No, not at all. And and that's really like, it was so cool to be able to do it and difficult to do. And I think we did a good job. I think we could have done a better job, but like, you know, the Cedric and P. Sully are so good um, that it's like, you know, there's a reason they're so good. And they made hours and hours of like terrible, terrible footage watchable for all of us. Um, and you know, I don't think me and Mason are quite quite there, but it was definitely a very watchable coverage. I think we were having a good time. And, and even by like round round four or five, once I had really settled in and he had really settled in, we we're kind of kind of cruising. I think we made some some really good commentary and uh, you know, the matches were were good enough to be watchable and entertaining. And that's all you can really ask for, you know. It's uh it's a pursuit. It's one I'm excited to be getting more into and improving at um goes on because obviously i do do want to to keep leveraging that opportunity to be a part of something i hold so dear in live tournament magic and coverage something that really got me involved in the game um but enough waxing poetic about magic coverage spencer what did you do to improve this week so i think this needs to be prefaced uh abe would you describe me as a pioneer player who hates arena and standard? No. <laughs> would you describe that as me like that at all? <laughs> I would describe you as an arena player who enjoys standard. Oh, so, weird. That is not what no. Twitter said when I was really upset this week. Uh, I don't even know if it's this week. It's because I, I took the week off. But... Um, Man, this is really hard because I'm not this type of person on the podcast, but I actually think it needs to be said. Um, Abe, you let me know if it needs to be edited out, but I uninstalled Arena. It is not on my computer anymore. Uh, I was really, really upset by the Explorer anthologies. Um, Pioneer is one of my favorite formats. It is, It could easily be the most popular format in Magic if supported correctly. And... Uh, I, I honestly, I was pretty close, like, when they spoiled the shield. Like, I was like, what is happening right now? You get all the charms. Gruel Charm, great addition. I won't pretend that Gruel Charm isn't a thing that people are playing. But I was really upset. And as somebody who has defended Arena, 
had made an entire podcast about Arena and Arena Mythicast, has sub- like supported Standard, supported. I mean, like even on this podcast, Yeoman Five said it best in this word. It's like, I said this is what I was called, and Yeoman goes, "I don't believe you." Like, <laughs> if anyone has listened to you talk, Spencer, that's not true. And I just posted the screenshot, and I was like, I. I uninstalled it. I'm not... I will not pay another dollar. Um, and I, I want to talk about a couple of things. One, isn't always improving for me. Um, I've been spending too much money on Magic, and I will be really transparent about what I spent, and I've never done this on this podcast. I buy every single pass, and I buy the, the complete bundle. So I pay the whole, the whole bundle every set. And that's about how much I pay on Arena. I do it for a couple of reasons. One... Uh, I like I like the cosmetics on Arena. Um, it makes me happy, and so they're worth it to me. Uh, but they have not been worth it lately, and it's been another thing that's really been upsetting me. You get less and less for more and more time. Um, and then two, like I also have a Mana Trader subscription. While we are sponsored by Pure MPGO, and um. I don't know. I don't know what to say other than, like, I do it so that I can do this podcast, right? Like, I spend that $100 a set. I, it's like To me, it's like if I was going to buy a paper booster box, and I just don't need to own paper cards. Like, that hasn't been a thing I needed, so I spend it digitally instead. But kind of looking back on my arena stuff, it's been a huge problem. And so for me, my always improving moment, outside of, like, finally making the decision to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. You're not going to get my money. And not only will you not get my money, I don't actually need to play this client to play Standard, Pioneer, and Modern. I have booted up MTGO and fully dedicated myself to it. And I have taken some lumps. And I'm going to give some examples. <laughs> uh, starting at 1-0 in my first challenge back on MTGO, uh, round two, played against former co-host Quentin Pierce uh, and cast a Storm the Festival. And when you cast Storm the Festival on MTGO, for those who don't know, the OK and the No button are swapped as to what you would think they would be, because that's how everything else works on MTGO. And I hit the No button to put my cards into play and lost the match versus Quentin to start 2-0. In my, in that, still, still ended up with a winning record in that challenge. In my next cha- Pioneer Challenge, which was uh, yesterday, uh, I played my, I had kept my hand of Flipland. Mountain, is it Flipland Mountain or Flipland uh, Den of the Bugbear? With my Lanawar Lanawar hand, and then played my Flipland on red. So, uh, like, listen, he, here's the thing. My most improving moment is, I'm actually appreciative of this. And here's here's where the actual crux of this comes down to is that one, Arena has made me really lazy. Like, actually really lazy. The point where I think it might actually be hurting my results. And I think this is going to slow me down in a really meaningful way. To be decisive, as MDGO is heavy, and it's a lot to learn, but I also think that it will not hold my hand and make me better again. I love Magic Online. That's all I gotta say. I love it to death. It's so perfect. Can we just it's playing the game can we just over the board, this? action by action, with a chess clock, exactly yeah, I do as love the chess clock. to be played. 
it's just there's nowhere to hide. You do something stupid. There's no taxis, backsies. There's no there's no UI holding your hand. You just yeah, but the UI can hurt you. There's no reason for the OK and the No button to be swapped as how they are. Oh, absolutely not. It's a reading comprehension. That's so crazy. Why is it like that? What's funny is we have a video on the YouTube channel. This is why it's the worst and why it's like a huge always improving moment. There's a video on the YouTube channel of me and Matt playing. Uh, he's playing teamer vehicles, and I I don't remember what I was playing. Oh no, I'm playing Mono Green, and he beats me with the Japanese teamer deck. And like in the deciding, like in one of the deciding games, I also do this before this challenge. Like it's so you unintuitive. Learn. And I also, like, help with UX, UI, like, as my job. It's so unintuitive, reading from left to right, that it's crazy. I cannot believe they I still have It's so bad. I mean, but, did you really, did but you really I didn't learn read from, it, though? I didn't. I obviously didn't read it. <laughs> I obviously didn't read it. And, like, that's my point, right? Is, like, one, Spencer, you didn't learn from your mistake the first time. And, two, slow the freaking heck down. It is a chat. You have the time you have allotted. You do not get bonus points for winning the match with 10 extra minutes. No, there's no rope. There's no time. There's no banking, uh, banking timeouts. You take the time you need when you need it. And if you run out, you run out. Magic Online is so great. This is just, you know what? I think Magic Green is going to be a perfect platform in like three or four years when all the cards are there. Until then, the way that all the cards are getting imp- implemented on there can take it or leave it. But until then, and even beyond that, you should leave it. there's something about clear, Magic Online that is just... <laughs> there's there's just something about Magic Online that you can't... you can't replace. There's no there's no existing without it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're back in the streets and you're, uh, you're going to take the opportunity to sharpen up with it. Yeah, I got a couple. Highly recommend. Got a couple three twos in leagues. Uh, very much losing to myself. Magic Online is so different. I it is like I won't get into this. I I playing one, at the hardest LGS in the world with uh sometimes your hands run backwards. Anyway, <laughs> I like to use it a reading comprehension test. It's like, and then you're like, did you read it? What's so funny about that is the like the like Japanese cards discourse in in Twitter. It's like you guys don't read your cards anyway. Don't act like you care if they're Japanese. No man players ever read a card all the way through. <laughs> it's even. never happened. Just don't even. Uh no Patreon shout outs this week if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash ECMG. Listen to me and Abe talk about in uh MTG melee, that's not the right thing. Smash Bros. Melee and how to use it to become a better banker. That's this week's uh bonus episode. Something like that. It's kind of what happened. It is an analogous to what happened. Yeah. There's also a bit on how to get the girl in there, too. So Yeah. It's 6-2 six, six, and single, baby. Let's go. Uh, a couple things. Uh, the Patreon discount code is not working in the swag shop. I know why. And I don't know if I'm going to change it. And customer service has not gotten back to me. Uh, I misread how it worked. Uh, and it also means that if your Patreon question is read, you're not getting a special discount code because once again, their customer service is not, they were wrong. Uh, that being said, 
Uh, we do want to be moving to a new platform. That's uh, soon. As soon as it's available. That is Mythic Gaming. And we had a Playman contest that we had announced. And one, I want to. I just want to say thank you. We've actually gotten uh, submissions from a few people. And uh, we discussed them internally. And we loved... One, one, I think that, I'll say, I'll say this, I think that we really appreciate how much people love Mason, Abe, and Spencer. That's really cool. Um, I don't think that we had considered that when announcing the Playmat Contest that it would be about Mason, Abe, and Spencer through these people rather than the, like, the show and the brand. Because of this, and because of kind of some internal conversations, we're actually not going to do the Flamehead Contest. We are actually going to release, uh, and Mikey, thank you for telling me you want my Playmat. Uh, we're going to release the Playmat that I have. The Constructed Criticism, Always Improving Playmat. Um, and and to, for what it's worth, just if you are one of the, the couple people that submitted, this is nothing against your submissions. This is, we don't want the playmat to be us. <laughs> uh, and also, we already have a brand that we want to be promoting. Uh, Abe, do you want to say anything on this before I... Yeah, I mean, I just want to say that I thought, I was blown away by some of the level of, like, you know, thought and effort that was put into the submissions that we did look over. Um, and they were great. And I think that really what this is, is just, we had an idea in mind and what we thought it was going to look like when we put it out there and you all showed us that y'all think about things entirely different than we do sometimes and not to say we won't do things like this in the future right. or there won't be opportunities this, like that this in the won't future. be the only playmat right it's just the actual yeah. first cc playmat yeah yeah and and when we do we'll probably you know we talked about it huge huge learning moment for us you know maybe put a little bit more guidelines um and guidance for you guys to work with makes it a little bit easier on you makes it a little easier for us to align with the vision um, that, that we have for one our playmat. But, you know, the, the classic always improving playmat is going to be a fantastic one um, to have and to use. Uh, and then, uh, I, again, just want to say thank you to the people who did yeah. um, did submit because they were fantastic, honestly. Yeah, so. it, and I, I will say this, that, like, if you submitted, uh, I, I will reach out to you when we do V2. Like... We, we've decided we want V1 to just be like the logo, always improving, like a, a more generic playmat. But when when we do like another special edition playmat, like you will be reached out to. We really, really appreciate it. With that being said, let's go on to the main topic. And it is a classic. We're talking about managing your resources, Abe. You know, you got your Acorns account, you've got your stock options, you've got your... Oh, wait, no. This isn't a financial gross podcast. No, we've got... We've got four resources here. Oh. Well, let's... Let's let's rewind. Let's talk about the history of the topic. This was, like, in the first 25 episodes of the show. And it was also the first time the show was ever posted to the mothership. And we have done this episode... I believe this is the fourth time we've talked about managing your resources. Um, and all of them have been with new hosts. It was me, Matt, and Casey. It was me and Michael. It was me, uh, Seth, and John. 
and now it's being aired. And what I really like about each of these episodes is that each host has brought their own perspective to the topic, because this is literally what the game of magic is about, is a game of exchanging your resources to get you to the point where you win the game. Abe, today we're going to talk about four specific resources you have, and I would like you to tell the listeners what those are. Yeah, so those four uh, resources are cards, life, mana, and time. And I say them in those order because uh, specifically time, sometimes referred to as tempo, sometimes referred to, um, you know, as turns. Um, time is kind of this nebulous uh, thing that we all fight over uh, in Magic, kind of fought over with uh, the other three resources. Um, I don't know if you want to dive into what you know, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Why, do you, why don't you dive into that? So you've kind of just described time, right? It is, it is the thing the game is about. I actually, I'll, I'll dive in. I really like what you said when we were making the show notes, and I'll steal this directly from you, Abe. You said time is the most important thing. Because what you're trying to do is eliminate your opponent's time and make it so you're the only one with time left. And that that becomes what the game is about. And that you use the other resources to gain and subtract time in exchange for what you need to get to the end game, right? And if you think of game like different types of card games specifically is how I looked at it, is that's true, right? Like you're you only have so much time and you're exchanging resources so that at the end of that time you end up with the resources that matter the most. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, it's just true. When you win the game, your opponent is out of time. So um, going to those resources, we've got cards. And this is, uh, you know, this is the classic card advantage. This is, you've got just more, you've drawn more cards, you have access to more pieces of cardboard um, than your opponent or more pieces of cardboard in general. You get one card every turn. Um, but you can also, you know, cast some divinations, some, Maybe some ancestor recalls if you're really lucky. Um, Can I interrupt on and... some of these and, and talk about them with you? Yeah, sure. Um, so this this is one that I wanted to change because, like, you know, we we've changed time to time. I think turns could have been a thing. I think tempo could have been a thing. Cards is one that I wanted to change to cardboard, and the the reason is because I think that magic has evolved past the point where individual pieces of cardboard matter as far as like what's drawn out of your deck and played out of the battlefield. But there is a level of like, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but like Huntmaster of the Fells is like the card I'm thinking about where it both produces and reduces your opponent's card, produces your own cardboard and reduces your opponent's cardboard every time it's flipped, right? And it made it a really powerful card in its time in Standard. It had its time in Modern. Like, it, it, it the, the only thing that it did was produce, like, literal resources. It produced life. It took away life. It produced cardboard. Um, and it mattered how you used your mana in order to, to exchange those resources for another. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on, like, how cardboard versus cards is a thing when you're thinking about this as a listener. Yeah, there's this old question that um, that Patrick Chapin kind of used to pose, which is like, how many cards is a raise the alarm worth? 
you know, if you're paying one card and you're getting two one ones, how many cards are two one ones worth? You know, like the card is obviously two pieces of cardboard you're putting into play for the one card. That's virtual card advantage, right? Your one card produces two pieces of cardboard. That's good. But, you know, what is the effectiveness of those two pieces of cardboard is really hard to hard to score. I think more and more now, to your point, you see a card like Fable the Mirror Breaker, and that is just a lot of cardboard impact that you're getting out of one piece of cardboard. You're getting a 2-2 Goblin Shaman token that's worth, like, a card. You're getting to see, you're getting virtual card advantage of filtering your draw by two cards. The Saga itself, when it flips, is a card that generates even more card advantage virtually. And cardboard, and we're not even talking about the man advantage and the actual cardboard from the treasure tokens. Yes, yeah. So, like, you know, there are just more and more things that generate actual cardboard. Um, Ultimately, I think it's still really important to make the distinction, um, not only in terms of how much cardboard you're generating, but how much cardboard you have access to. Like, the the cards you draw out of your deck, um, and probably, you know, the biggest misconception people have about card advantage. Uh, often people think about, you know, the long game of, oh, well, if I if I draw more cards, I have more resources, I do more things. But in the short term, you know, card advantage is really good at giving you options. That's always how I thought about it, is that the more cards you see, the more options you have, because you've seen more tools. And so ultimately, you know, both are really important distinctions to make. And you know, there are lots of cards that make more cardboard and that does give you, you know, more options, but you're never going to replace, you know, Think Twice or, uh, you know, Divination or like uh, Jace's Ingenuity in terms of just finding the things you need uh, when you need them. We're going uh, to about, we're gonna talk about this one a lot more because I have two specific decks that talk about cards. Talk to me about life really quick. Yeah, so life is pretty self-explanatory, you know, you start with 20 of it, and you lose when you have none of it, and so uh, that there's no extra points for winning at 20 life, or at 50 life, or anything like that, uh, so it is the resource where only the last point matters, and as such, it is one that one of the first uh, big lessons you learn as a competitive magic player is to spend it you know is to not constantly defend it but to pick and choose where it is you let some of it go uh but it is just the resource of you know that is my life life total either i'm you know choosing not to block a creature to take that damage or i'm uh you know using that oh god i'm gonna date myself use that underworld connections to draw that card and lose that life you know uh taking those draw steps with shouldered in play whatever it may be uh, in order to get another resource in exchange. It's, it's most often uh way you see it, but ultimately, yeah, life, just just your life total, what you use until you use that last drop. Hottest of takes ever. If you're if you're not a boomer, you don't know this take, but this podcast was always a Underworld Connections is the reason that Monoblock is good. It has nothing to do with Great Merchant of Asphodel other than the, that it fuels your Underworld Connections. And anyone who thinks of it as a Great Merchant Vespa deck does not understand the concept of managing your resources. Uh, anyway, that's pretty cold take. That's it's that's just factual. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that we disagree here. There was the basis. No, it's a cold take. That's oh, a cold you take. yo, you're saying you agree? Yeah. 
Okay. Our connections was messed up in that format. Oh, okay. Um, no, people people raged at us. We were un we were gray merchant haters. People love gray merchant Masvidal. <laughs> I don't get it. That's not what this is about, though. No, but um, but it is. I that's one of the things I want to talk about. In like, you think about, you know, we're, we're going to talk about like trading resources later in this episode. That's when I want people to remember. Uh, the last one is mana. Yeah. So mana is, uh, you know, the resource we're most probably all most familiar with, but that access to mana, um, you know, either by putting lands in play or, you know, ramping with, uh, be it Lanor Elves or Nykthoses, um, it allow you to use uh, the cards you, right? Having more cards allows you to have more opportunities to hit land drops, therefore giving you more mana, um, allows you to make more of the time you have uh, and ultimately, you know, it's what you need in order to use any of your resources. So uh, it's really a foundational building block resource. It's probably the uh, the most intertwined of of all of these with time. There was a moment in drawing up these notes where we thought about just having time cards in life uh, and kind of tying time and mana together. But that's because time's biggest thing... Um, you know, to us, uh, is really that access to untapping your mana every turn is, is one of the biggest things. But to kind of transition into talking about time uh, and, and what it really means, time really is just, uh, you know, it is the everything resource. Every turn that you get, you get to, not only do you get to untap all of your lands and all of your creatures, which is, you know, that's you getting access to all of your mana again, you also get to draw a card right? So that's you gaining uh, a piece of card advantage incrementally, as well as you get the opportunity to attack or leave your creatures back to block, which is interacting on the life axis. Um, and every turn you take, you get, you know, all of the opportunity for these game actions, like making a land drop or, um, or attacking or using a planeswalker or, uh, you know, as more things get added to the game that you get to do, uh, the more you get to do them with time. And ultimately, time is how you get to get the most out of, uh, you know, your cards and your mana um, by using combinations of these resources to uh, preserve that. And so I really just wanted to make sure it was said, you know, kind of that linkage between mana and time, because every turn getting access to your mana again, um, you know, in a lot of games is the whole it is the most valuable piece of time because it allows you to continue to bolster your position and leverage the advantages you have. I mean, or it, get more advantages to get. Honestly, get uh, I, I'm in conversations with our editor to come back, uh, Abe, and th that would be the clip that I would have just given him for TikTok and for YouTube shorts is you describing the way that time equates into all of these things each and every turn. And to me, like, as I listen to you talk there, you have to think like, okay, well, one of the coolest parts of magic is ways to break the rules, right? So Abe and Spencer have shown me through Abe's, Abe's conversation here, what a card is, what a piece of cardboard is, what life is, what mana is, and, and why time is important. Well, are there unique things for each of these? Oh boy, <laughs> are there. Uh, well, let's start with cards. Uh, there are two decks that came to mind that I think that people listening now will relate to. 
And I think they might also both be evergreen. I cannot see either of these things changing in the near future. But they are Dredge. And they are Living End. You talked about, like, not just the number of pieces of cardboard that are in play in your hand. But you actually talked about the number that you see. With through your own resource, which is your library. And both Living End and Reg have an ability to see the literal most. Uh, that's not really true when you think about like Charbelcher or, you know, where you like actually just revealing your, you're just flipping your deck upside down. But they are two that I think the listeners can relate the most to as Living End is one of the best decks in modern right now. And Dredge will be forever a deck in modern. Because anytime you print anything that makes you discard and draw cards, it gets it gets a look looksy here. I, I'm kind of curious, like, is this the most unique way to look at cards? And also, like, why is just seeing cards the thing that matters here? Yeah, I think that if you look at it, like, dredge is definitely the biggest extreme, right? The whole dredge mechanic, um, you know, replacing your draw step to get a specific card back to your hand, but milling that many cards with the number, like dredging five for Stinkweed Imp is supposed to be like, the idea is, oh, you're going to trade the resource of cards in your library for, you know, the Stinkweed Imp again. What it actually says is if your cards in your graveyard can be treated as cards in your hand or cards that you have access to because they all do everything out of the graveyard, then it's draw five cards. Um, and you know, Dredge is a deck that only really functions when it has a critical mass of these effects and is able to get all of its, you know, all these things you're doing for free out of the graveyard are weaker than things you can do for mana, but doing them all for no mana out of your graveyard is very powerful and hard to interact with. So, um, yeah, it, it's what breaks the rules of, you know, card advantage, I think, in the most obvious way. You're going to see so many cards and therefore you're going to be able to do this thing that's very powerful, like flipping all these Narcomibas over in Legacy, you know, uh, cards like um, Bridge from Below and Narcomiba and Cabal Therapy, uh, you know, all coming together to say, okay, well, I now have access to uh, what I need to... But behind the scenes, do you know Basin's biggest miss in in the Pick 2 set review? No. Oh, it might have been the first pick two set review ever, but Mason and I were like, read, like, Hogak was Trey's pick. And Mason and I were like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is, like, even, like, a thing. Like, what's the best that you get? You get, like, this big guy that just dies to Doomblade or whatever. You know, obviously not Doomblade. But. Just gets passed. Yeah. Obviously. Back then, yeah. Uh,. No, I, I think that's true. I, what's so funny about this is, like, I mentioned two modern decks, but this has actually happened in Standard, right? Like, there was a Standard is it, uh, cycling deck that literally I, that literally yeah. just did this exact thing, right? It just wanted to see the most pieces of cardboard that got to its win condition and then cast its win condition. And what's funny is this is also kind of how, like, decks like Storm or, like, a lot of combo decks operate... Uh, on this axis, where it's not like Dredge, right? Like, you're not seeing, like, 48 cards. You're seeing, you know, 22 cards, but you that's that's it. That's all you need to see. 
Right, and it's such overwhelming card advantage that you're able to, like the amount of times when Pauper Storm was kind of broken before they banned it, banned stuff in it again. Like Galvanic Relay, it's a card that's even played in Legacy because you get to kind of cast multiple spells on this one turn and then have, you know, have access to all these cards on the following turn because seeing that many cards means you're going to find, you know, when you, when you draw that many of them, even on something like an Ad Nauseum, you're going to find the things you need um, because you're just drawing so many cards. And it's not just about, you know, oh, well, I've drawn more cards than you. And so if I exchange resources one for one with you, you know, if I, you know, fatal push your creature and then, you know, thought sees another thing. And then I, I have the last thing standing, which is shoulder. And it's a very traditional mid-rangey way of doing things of, oh, I've, I've gotten more cards than you because I got this exchange out of this invoke despair uh, that, that got multiple of your resources for my one. And that's going to put me ahead. It can be that. But at its real extremes, um, and what illustrates it really clearly of the value of cards and, and selection is that the more cards you see, um, the more consistently you're going to be able to find the cards you need when you have them. And uh, that is ultimately more important. You know, we talk a lot in Magic about, you know, your opponent dying with cards in hand. It's so much more important to have card selection, to have access to the right card at the right time than it is to have access to all of your cards, because ultimately you're going to need time to use all of them. It's uh, it's too bad that Brainstorm has been in the store. Gosh, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Uh, no, I, I want to talk about the next one, which is really interesting because I think that people love to dog on life as a resource. But like historically, I want to talk about two two decks that uh, I think that you're boomer enough to recognize the way that I'm boomer enough, Abe. And that is Soul Sisters and Martyr. As like two actual decks that were like, I don't need to gain infinite life. I just need to gain enough life that you don't matter. And the number of times people have tried to recreate that feeling is every time. Every time that every life king card has ever been printed. But there is actually a critical mass where you can say, like, Soul Sisters in Standard. Uh, Soul Sisters for a little while in Modern. Martyr of Sands in Modern. Martyr of Sands in Standard. Like, there is actually a number where it becomes, whatever, like, go off, King. Uh, my guys are going to be five fives eventually. Uh, these Sarah Ascendants are going to kill you. What what is, what is the unique things that you can do with life? And I also want to call out another card before Dan that we'll circle back to, and that's going to be Thragtus. But I want to I talk to you about that, that, like, uniqueness of life gain. And uh, you can throw angels into that if you want to, because I think that's something that maybe the non-boomers will understand a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the life does get a bad rap because one of the first things you learn in Magic is that, like, casting a card like Healing Salve or Revitalize is, like, not worth it. Uh, you know, three life for a card is, like, not a great exchange. But there comes a time where you start to realize that, especially recursive life gain or really, really... Life gain that buys you a lot of time. There's a certain amount of life that really feels like it does equate to a full turn. Either a full two, turn of your opponent's two mana combat. 12. I'll give you two mana 12 life. Do you take it? Yeah, probably. I mean, two mana 7 life, it was like an uncommon back in the day that people would like think hard about playing. Right. You know? Um, you know, you tack, you tack life gain on... Like That's, I think, what you're getting to with Ragtus. You tack life gain onto bodies, and it suddenly becomes a big problem. 
um, when it's the right thing. Like an Uro, for example, is like three life. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine if Uro didn't gain life. Holy! It would be like only one of the most messed up things in that era. Instead of just like one of the top three, we want a top five. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, there's a certain amount where you're invalidating your opponent's combat. You know, your opponent's way of reducing your time for your life total you invalidate with your life total. And conversely, you can also use your life total to gain the other cards. You know, a card that has since kind of aged out, um, but is still often talked about, is Dark Confidant. You know, that's a card that explicitly every turn allows you to be trading your life total for cards. Now, it's an indeterminate amount of life for one card um, based on the mana value of the card that you reveal, but you're making that exchange consistently. And if you have ways to recoup that life loss, or you know that you're going to, uh, you're going to outrace your own expenditure because your deck's really efficient, um, then it's worth it, right? Because having access to those cards, having access to the right options, having access to all your resources, that ultimately um, plays out. But yeah, even as recent as like, I remember calling it putting, pe- putting people in the lock when I would ha- play Urza and the games would get kind of long and grindy, but I would have made so many food tokens with my Gilded Goose. Like, you have, like, ten food tokens sitting around. This actually happens a ton long. in Limited. Like, I actually have had this happen in Lord of the Rings. I know that food's bad in Lord of the Rings, so, like, don't at me. But, like, the number of times where, regardless of what you played, like, you've made so many food tokens, that it's like, I don't have the cards left in my deck to deal this much damage. And my opponent probably knows that. And I'm down on cards. So now the game's over. And it's they have the ine- inevitability that I cannot beat. Yeah, I remember getting to a certain stage in like the Urza versus Humans matchup where like I get the board stabilized and they'd be like, okay, they're going to cast like what? A Mantis Rider? I'm making a food every turn and I'm cracking it because I'm kind of waiting to draw that next, like I'm, I'm still kind of like waiting to be able to spin my Urza or do, you know, whatever it is, but I'm going to have so much time because they're only dealing small chunks of damage. And I'm gaining that back. I've invalidated their things. So especially when it comes to recursive life gain, that can be really exchanged for cards in a way that's you're gaining life and gaining cards because you're gaining time, gaining draw steps, uh, but it works the other way too, right? We're talking about other underworld connections before, um, you know, Phyrexian Arena is a card people have, have thrown around before um, of just a way that you're, you're losing life and drawing cards um, in, in a very direct exchange. You're getting into a later topic, which I think is like trading this resource. But I actually think there are ways that like this resource wins the game, right? Like I think about like Kitchen Things combo where it's like, listen, like I, I'm, I'm at infinite life. Like I'm at I'm at three trillion. And I can be at 17 trillion next turn if you want me to be. Then there are other decks, like, you look at, like, Soul Sisters with Pride Mage, where it's like, listen, not only is this life gain gaining me life, but it's also, like, gaining me advantage. Uh, I, I actually think that the first time I ever hit Mythic on Arena was with Soul Sisters Mono White Aggro. And people were like, Spencer, this is the least Spencer deck in history. And I was like, no, but that's what Arena is about, right? It's The Arena metagame is about time and life. And this, and like, I don't care that these 1-1s don't matter as cards, because what they do matter about is in those other 
aspects, right? And, you know, I, I think about back to the days of Soul Sister before Cobblade. This, this like, before Cobblade, I'm sure Abe remembers it, where, like, this was actually, like, a tier one deck. Like, you would just win by playing, is it Felidar Sovereign? Where you yeah. had to be at 60? And it was, like, an actual good deck. It, like, won state championships. It won nationals. Like, it was a good deck. And there... But the thing is... The thing about life that I think is a little bit different than cards and mana is everybody has a way to pressure your life. And the, depending on how your deck is, your deck is constructed, constructed, they don't have ways to pressure your mana or your cards. Everyone has a way to pressure your life. Because... Yeah. Because that's the resource that's going to matter to win the game. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out there are some corners to this, like your life total can be, if you're playing against Mill, your life total can be your cards and library. If you're playing against um, playing against Infect, your life total can be your poison count. You know, it, it's not always as linear as just your 20 starting life total. It is your, you know, count of resources towards losing the game. And also... It doesn't matter in this game. Yes. And also, it's that you don't have to be gaining or losing life or making that exchange for life to be a resource that really matters. Because inherently, you know, how many times have you played a mid-range mirror, Spencer, and because you were able to get those early attacks in, it changes the way your opponent's allowed to play. You know, like, your life total, the implication of you being close to losing because of your life total does start to impact the way that you, right, you're able to get more advantageous exchanges out of your opponent. I, I actually want because to talk about this you asked me a really important question here abe do you know what my favorite deck i've ever played in a ptq is this will surprise maybe not even abe but i actually played i actually have been anti-dark confidant in jund long before everyone else and i played four lotus cobras and played a thundermall hellkite build to beat lingering souls back in the day instead of dark confidant because i believe the mana was the important part of modern the only deck that I lost to was uh, Abe will love this was Jeskai. The whole day, I lost to Jeskai. Uh, I was told my opponent was on blue white. They cast Lightning Helix on my Lotus Cobra, and I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna win. Like I actually am shocked. But the thing is, is that this is this is the dichotomy, right, Abe? That you're that you're talking about here, where. This this microcosm of not just your event, not just this moment, but like you have to decide what man what resources your deck cares about and what resources matter here. Yeah, and also, you know, even beyond that, your life total isn't something is something that is always in play to be considered, not just in terms of cards that gain you or lose you life in terms of how it is that you're managing your life total constantly such that you don't have to exchange the resources that you have in play. Like, you don't have to chump block that creature or you can make an attack that your opponent has to block in a certain way because of the fact your life total is low um, or the implication of, of them dealing damage. Like, for you, having Thundermile Hellkite in your deck means that your opponent, once they know about that, they can't just go to five or eight even, right? Because they know that if the Thunderball, like if they don't have an answer to Thunderball and they tap out and they're taking Thunderball plus a lightning bolt or whatever, um, you know, the game's just over. So that implication can really be leveraged, not just 
in terms of, you know, it's good. Like if you're gaining more life and your opponent can deal you damage, that's obviously invalidating their things and that's giving you advantage. But um, your the implication of whatever's going on on the board, even if no player gains any life at all or loses any life to any of their cards, it is a resource that's in play. Let's talk about mana. Like, there are unique ways to use mana. I, I actually jump off of this. I'll go first. Um, Trong, it's a lot of hate. Like, so much hate. Uh, and I think that people just, like, really don't like the idea that, like, you assemble Tron and you get this mana advantage. But I was actually watching Mason play on stream, and I was... He was playing Mono Green Tron Splashing Blue for Academy Ruins to to bring back uh, Mind Slavers. And uh, I watched him play a game where he molted either three or four, and... He talked about the game and like he played through and I, at the end of the game he was like I would I would literally pay you money, Mason, to like he wins the game and I was like, I would pay you money to recreate this. Like, let's go to your moto replay, like let's do it. And I maybe I'll force him to do it. Maybe I'll just be like I'll give you like X dollars. Uh but one of the really interesting things about mana is that there are there are a couple ways to use mana. One, there's that way, right? Like where you're abusing your mana. Tron is an obvious example, but like, I think Rampant Growth or Wild Growth or all of those ramp effects that we've talked about are, that it is a unique thing that green does to its advantage to make the game about this, to both reduce time, uh, use your life as a resource, and then in some cases actually gain card advantage with things like Cultivate. And it is why green is my favorite color aid. I'm kind of curious as like a blue-red X-Mage. How you feel about green's ability to do this. And how when the other colors get to do it. Or the colorless decks get to do it. How it's so unique and annoying. Or maybe not annoying. Maybe it's just a fun part of magic. I mean, I would say that, you know, I really want to avoid talking about things like Tron. Because they kind of break the rules of traditional... Um, isn't that the point of the topic though like that it is unique it is unique but i think that if you're in trying to understand you know the value of the resource at least to me i want to make sure that i'm giving example i'm not saying it's like a bad example i'm saying i want to avoid speaking on it a lot in terms of tron specifically because it is something that you're getting disproportionate mana advantage from cards you're investing really to me the value of mana is just the ability to use the cards you have with the time you have, can, right? Can, can You're I using ask... those two things together in order to leverage cards, which is why, like, like to your question, um, green, whenever, right, you look at the tireless tracker format in standard, uh, where green had the best card draw and also had, uh, you know... Was that that, was the the, that wasn't Mystic Elves, was it? No. No, that was uh, tireless tracker. It was the band company there. Okay. Well, you actually bring up an interesting point to me, and I'm actually kind of curious, this is not in the show notes, but if you were to describe, like, the most unique way to use mana uh, as a resource, and I gave you uh, High Tide, uh, uh, 12 Post, like, any Primeval Titan deck, or, like, Farseek decks in the standard, 
which like how would you rank them from like most unique, interesting, and like caring about the importance? I think that of those decks, which I would want to give as the example of how mana is used as a resource and used, not necessarily abused. I think that I would stick to like the Farseek decks or the um, that's using the or the Primal Titan ramp decks. That's using the resource because I really think it's important to understand how they work in a, these resources work in a fair way before you really consider how they work in an unfair way. You know, like, I think that you look at, like, a Farseek mid-range deck, it's like, I'm taking my turn two and spending a whole card on turn two to make sure that I'm accelerated to having my my four mana spells, because that's important enough to me to spend my time on turn two and my card on turn two to make sure that on turn three, I can cast a four drop, or on turn four, I can cast a five drop. Go, going two, four, seven by spending cards is fair, is what you're saying. Yes, I think that when you're making exchanges of your cards directly for mana one for one, it's a really good illustration of the power of that mana advantage because when you then look at what makes the Primeval Titan ramp decks, right, those Wolf Run ramp, those Valakut ramp decks so powerful is that ultimately the cards they were casting at the top end, like in Wolf Run ramp, it netted you ways to spend the mana, right? That's why like a card like Harmonize is so constantly present in like, vintage cubes because that's the cube where you have most access to ways to break break it on mana and when you're able to do that in green and then also draw cards in green you're able to spend cards getting ahead on mana then have a card that recoups you cards to be able to cast more spells that is a very dangerous combination when you have access to both mana and cards because then all of your time is well spent you're always going to be you know every time you're getting that untap you're going to have things to do with it as opposed to i've spent all my cards on mana and now uh you know i'm looking for something to spend this mana on um and so i i really tend to tend to like to use those examples just to make sure it's clear like the way that mana ultimately is used uh like best as a resource to have in abundance in terms of just these pillars um you know it's either to be casting things that are much more powerful than your opponent's casting in general you know like you could ramp into emrakul or or what have you, or that you're able to do more things in a turn than uh, than your opponent and make the most of your time, which is happening, right? You're passing turn every turn. You each have the same amount of time, but you're getting more out of it because you're able to spend more mana and have more time with your resources deployed. It's so funny because I would describe Primeval Titan as a fair card, and I would describe um, Amulet of Vigor as an unfair card. I think that's true, yeah. And, like, I think that people miss that sometimes. They think the problem is Primeval Titan. And it's like, no. That's... You You could make a hundred Primeval Titan decks that are completely fair on the exchange here. But the second you introduce the Amulet of Vigor into the equation, it becomes unfair. So I'm kind of curious. The last two decks that I talked about there, right? We talked about Cloud Post and High Tide. Uh, for those who don't know, these are decks that abuse the mana system. Like, they're, that is the... The entire point. Yeah, and those decks I think are ones that they're leaning... Same with Tron. I think they lean more towards the end of I'm going to use my disproportionate mana advantage, right? I'm going to use few cards to generate a lot of mana. Only I'm going to have, like, these islands in play and then cast multiple high tides in turn, untap them, keep generating a ton of mana and do something really big. Or I'm going to have these cloud posts or these Tron lands, whichever we're talking about. And then I'm going to generate a ton of mana and cast a big colorless spell. Um, while only having four or five lands in play. 
those are kind of the two sides of the same coin in terms of abusing the mana system um, to use it to just have a huge mana advantage that then lets your threat that costs a lot of mana be the defining piece. So you don't need, in that case, a lot of cards. You're, you're skimping on cards, but still abundant on mana because of the restriction of, oh, it has to be cloud posts and locuses, or it has, and it has to be that you're casting some big colorless threat, right? Those are kind of limiters that are placed on you. But I think that, uh, you know, when you look at mana in a more traditional sense, it's right. What makes Amulet Titan and Amulet Titan like busted is that Amulet of Vigor lets you skip on time. The cards in, in the, you know, the bounce lands have the come into play tapped return a land like piece on them. And all of that is negated by the existence of Amulet of Vigor. Right now, you're able to use the mana the turn immediately. So now these cards are generating more mana, and then you're able to like have your your primeval titan is actually you're using it immediately because the lands come and play tapped and get untapped. So you're skipping on time in a lot of steps because of amulet yeah. as opposed to primeval titan, which is just the threat. We've so I think that no, I, I just wanted to say I think that that's that's an important distinction to make, and why what you're saying is true about you know why is it that amulet of vigor is the unfair card as opposed to Primeval Titan is because that's a card that's skipping a step on time. Yeah, I think you've actually transitioned us really well into our next point on this topic, which is actually trading resources. And we've talked about this in like a few ways, right? Like we've talked about cards in your library for your like your cards overall for time or for speed or you know whatever. We we've talked about Primeval Titan and its ability to, along with the right combination of cards, cheat on different things. And I think that there are a few ways to talk about like trading resources. Um, I I I want to go to a really basic example in reverse order and think about mana. If there is not a card that doesn't trade time and life for mana more than an explosive vegetation, I don't know what does. But that card constantly sees standard play, uh, and. I think that, like, that is a basis in which I understand this concept. Like, I was always anti this card. as like a ramp player. People might be surprised to hear that. Uh, but I always was like, no, like, I'm going to take seven here. I'm never trading seven life for two lands. And then the first time that I I, uh, I played a tournament with both uh, Rakdos's Return and Sphinx's Rev in my deck, I was like, oh, Explosive Edge is busted. Like, what are, what are we doing here? Uh, I don't know, it, like, that's the, like, the first one that I think about training things, but there are other ways, Abe, like, you think about, um, uh, like, trading mana for cardboard and, like, land of war elves. How, how, how do you consider this dichotomy of, like, I'm gaining this resource for this resource? Yeah, I think that ultimately it comes down to... It, it really relates back to what I, we said in the beginning about time. You know, I think that ultimately all of your game actions you take are to make the most of your time compared to your opponent's time or to reduce your opponent's time, right? Like a deck like Burn trades just mana and cards for the opponent's life. And that is ultimately going to take away all of their time, right? That, that's the only two, that's the only things you're worried about. You're worried about having lands and having burn spells, right? Um, those are exchanges that really matter. And really, you can combine, I mean, all of these resources in tandem exchange for each other when you're playing a game, right? You're using your mana and your cards to 
you know, pressure your opponent's life total or be able to defend your own. Um, you know, you're using your time and your life in order to uh, have more draw steps or, you know, spend that time casting a spell that's going to draw you cards instead of interacting with the board. All of these are exchanges that are made just on your end, let alone that you might make decisions in the game to, um, you know, exchange cards you have, right? You might make an attack where you lose an attacker, uh, you know, attack all out into your opponent's blockers, so you lose a creature or two, but you deal more damage because pressuring your opponent's life total is more important. Or, um, you know, you... I, I know playing a mono-green mirror at the RC, there was a really interesting moment where my opponent didn't attack. Um, and had they, I might have had to block with Llanowar Elves, and that ultimately, them not making that attack, put me in a position where I had one more mana, actually two more mana given the Devotion Pip, um, on the following turn to use to flashback Storming Festivals and, like, you know, use my Karns and stuff, and it could have been really pivotal, and something I was making sure to get the most out of was getting those attacks that might force that chump block, might force the reduction of Devotion um, on my opponent's side, or just loss of, of a raw mana source, and, you know, that's all in relation to, you know, the exchange between is my opponent's life more important or their planeswalker more important or their mana more important. Um, and so all of these exchanges happen all the time and whatever resource is most important to you winning, um, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing what you can for, um, you know, if you're choked on mana then it's going to matter a lot more to you that you have more mana sources to use the cards you have before you run out of time than it is going to be for you to like just keep drawing more cards to use on days that will never come. Or conversely, if your opponent is choked on mana, you might want to just try to end the game before they have mana because you know that they're going to be slow to develop. Um, and it's, it's multiple of these different trade-offs. You just think of, you know, what is your goal? What is the resource that you're thinking the most about? Uh, I think that you can make a lot of headway by thinking about that first and thinking about how you can use the other resources you have in order to either gain more or, or for yourself of something or reduce it for your opponent. This is actually something we talked about in our bonus episode that will be posted along with this, where we talked about like understanding what the game is about and understanding what your opponent thinks the game is about, and then... Uh, uh, Crafting a game that gives you the advantage in that moment, right? And trading resources, whether it's trading your resource for their resource or trading your own resources for different resources, is really important in this equation. And I think, Abe, you described that really well in, like, multiple situations. But kind of contextually, if you look at it through this lens of, like, mana, life, cards, and time... And understanding, like, what am I doing with this resource? And what is it gaining me? And what is it losing me? Because sometimes, if you trade if you trade a card for mana, it means you're losing life. If you trade a card for life, it means you just spent that mana, right? And understanding that equation will help you understand, like, what is the right play in this turn. And then I will equally say that the next point is, like, what does matter right now, right? Like, I have I have identified how to use my resources. Abe, how do I identify which one matters right now and in this moment? 
I mean, obviously it depends on game to game, but I think that, you know, many of us are familiar with the feeling of not having enough mana and therefore, you know, needing to hit land drops, uh, needing to have time to cast spells, uh, you know, and so that can be what's important. Or having the, the converse effect of, I have a lot of mana and nothing to do with it. Um, and in both cases, you know, kind of why time ultimately is the most important resource is that when games go like this, um, in either sense, what you need is time. And I think that evaluating how important time is, is generally going to be, um, like, is time on your side, or your opponent's side, is really the question that dictates, um, like, a resource that's always going to matter is what dictates, for me, a lot of my decision making. And then use it, figuring out what resources you have and how you can leverage them, either their abundance or your opponent's scarcity of them, to um, to advance the game in your favor. Like if your opponent is low on cards in hand, then you can probably afford to just try to take some one for one interactions. Um, you know, you might not otherwise make some trades that you might normally avoid because you know they're going to, you know. Keep, Keeping the game small, you're going to know that they're going to not have the resource to keep fighting, and you're going to have more than them. You're going to be able to overpower them. Um, conversely, if your opponent has a lot of cards, then maybe you need to play a little bit more cautiously and get more time to have your own resources to fight back with or develop more uh, of your own to use if it looks like they're firing on all cylinders. So, um, you know, to understand when that resource matters, it's really about figuring it out, figuring out what you have, what they have. Um, and then what your goals are for, for that game. If you love this topic, you want to hear more about it, don't forget to leave a comment in the YouTube section, or just let us know in the Patreon Discord. we got tons of conversations going on there all the time. Speaking of which, we have a Patreon question from Nicholas who says, What are your thoughts on a Dark Horse deck in Pioneer or Modern that is a card away from being top tier? Abe, I'm going to let you go first. This is a tough question. I think uh I think that in Pioneer. I don't want to touch modern because I think that there's enough going on there that's made it so that there's decks that are just top tier um and cards that are in, impact that format pretty disproportionately. But I think in Pioneer, um the like fires decks are like a card away. That was gonna be my answer. Like... I'm gonna have to change my answer now, but I I agree with you. I think that like they're gonna win so many RCQs. Keep going, but like they're so good. Yeah, and I think we've already kind of seen that occur, where like enigmatic incarnation um, was this kind of like very very fringe strategy that like was able to outgrind Rakdos in some spots and therefore had some utility and then leyline binding got printed and it made it so the deck had an entirely different angle while also having another piece of early interaction that was really good um and i think that just more things like that coming about um you know can really help that deck that's one where it's always always close um i could also see the right kind of card making it to like a hammer deck and pioneer could be could be good, but but that still struggles from the issue of fatal push being the rune spell in the format. Yeah, I think I think honestly, like if you gave if you gave like 
fires, decks, like the way that they're built now, specifically like any of the Yurion versions, like a, like a one mana deal to ETB enchantment that like sacrifices to like, I don't even know what it has to do. Like it could be five mana, like just some bullcrap mana because of fires intervention, right? Like that would change the whole deck where like, it already has a good green matchup, but it would make the green matchup free, but it would make the aggro deck so good. Like, where it's like, oh no, we have this thing. Because, um, like, Chain to the Rocks is good, but, like, it really forces your mana in, like, a really specific direction. Yeah. Um, that I that I think is bad for the decks. Like, it, they're good, but, like, it, it, is, it is a cost there. I've said for a long time that I think that if Blue, White, and Pioneer had Think Twice or Azorius Chancery. Either or. It would be... Chancery or Charm? Like, oh, Chancery. Charm is legal. Yeah. There's no Azorius Charms in Pioneer? Yeah, that's not very good. Um, oh, I, the reason the I say Think Twice is that actually the flashback is so important. Like, having multiple ways to use your mana on different turns to just get a card ahead would mean a lot that we actually like, hit your land drops and find your spells, something that the deck has a problem with. Which is why I also think that the blue white bounce land would be really, really good because there are just a lot of times sure, where like you want to play fewer you lands want, yeah, but you need okay. to play more lands because their density is just like weird. This, this is actually similar to my answer. I actually think that like blue white control in in modern is often one to two cards away from actually being tier one again. And I, I don't know that it needs to be blue white. Like it be I think that like people really have gotten off of like Esper control or like even Jessica control and like they're like trying to play to the board a lot i i do not believe that like the the i do not believe that with counter spell and with the cards available that blue white is that far off from being like good again in in modern but the thing is is like it has to be the right thing and like the problems with the deck become uh you're you're trading the wrong resources for what's going on in the format and so, either the format needs to change, or like they need to give you things that give you the right resources. But I don't think that's that many cards off. Like, I don't think it's that hard to like build a Chalice of the Void blue white deck that can be good. Uh, so that's my first answer. My second answer is actually in Pioneer. Um, I think that like just just the this is gonna bug people. I think like blue red decks are really good in pioneer like uh we got this was on threads the other day where somebody was like hey which of these decks should i play and one of the decks it was actually michaela for one of my co-hosts uh my co-host on our name of the cast we're not recording right now but like she's like which of these decks should i play and somebody was like you should never play indomitable creativity like that deck's bad and i was like i don't agree with this i think that there is like an actual problem in pioneer where the best blue red deck between a lot of decks, and I think I actually include more than other people, between turns, Phoenix, Drakes, and Creativity are the best week-to-week -week according to what you expect and the metagame, and you have to pick. And I think that's a problem for the deck. But I think the deck is like... I mean, even just Creativity might be like one to two cards off. I, I just don't even think it's that close. I think Blue-Red like blue decks in Pioneer are the closest to just being the best deck by... By a substantial margin. 
Yeah, I mean, you remember when they had Express Federation and they just were the best x by substantial Dude, and I actually it. don't even like that banning. The, the worst part is, like, that deck got banned because of prowess. Well, I'm just saying that, like, I the shell is so good that it really didn't take one card. I know, but, like... And then they took that card away, and now it's like, okay, we yeah. can chill. They're just it, really good, and you have I, to pick them, like, week to week. Yeah. I'm just saying that it, literally, it's a perfect example. It, the blue red decks are exactly one card away. It, they, are, they are one card away. And also, like, stop not playing... Uh, what's the learn card that's the blue two... Learn divide by zero remand. What the remand one? What is that one? Divide by zero. Divide by zero. You should be playing that in your stinking torrential gear hulk decks. Everyone who's not playing that, you're weird. Like it's so good in that deck. It's so good against green. It makes that matchup free. That matchup's like not that good otherwise. <laughs> it's like free when you play that card. All right. Uh, the last one I just want to mention is our YouTube comment. Uh. Pelo177 uh, says, wow, really impressed by the quality of his answers. Really insightful on our episode with Nathan. These are the type of YouTube comments I really like, Abe, where they are, like, thanking our guest or giving insight into, like, oh, this is really helpful. We, we've spoken in ad nauseum about Abe, but, like, I'm so glad that, like, even, what is it, like a month out, somebody's still saying this about this episode? Yeah, I mean, you know, we make a lot of timeless content here, so you should feel free to listen to it at any time. I love the self-promotion. Uh, you can join the conversation by joining the Patreon Discord by becoming a patron of $5 or more. Uh, we have a public Discord for all of PC Media. That's Neat Nerd, uh, Drafting Archetypes, and uh, my stream, and whoever else wants to be involved if they're one of the creators here, uh, as well as Neat Nerd and Smash Through. Uh, we've got the YouTube comments, it's a great way to get on the show. If you have a YouTube comment that we're like, yeah, we want to talk about that. I think that Nathan was such a good episode. I just want to remind people to go listen to that. That was insane. You can follow us on Twitter at CCMPG. You can check out the uh, Drafting Archetypes podcast by Sam Black. Like, sub, and review, and comment. We got a great review on iTunes. We're going to move on you. You can find me over at uh, twitter.com slash more nothings. I'm uh, not part of the great exodus from Twitter, as many people are partaking in Blue Sky or Threads or whatever these things are. I probably won't be for quite a minute, so don't worry about it. Uh, you can also uh, find me, if you clamor enough on the internet about how you want me to keep doing coverage for the NRG series, you can find me doing that there more. Otherwise, you could have found me two weeks ago from rounds one to five with Mason, and hopefully we'll be able to find me. Um, doing energy coverage for the next energy as well. You can find Mason at Mason E. Clark on Twitter. He also does an article every week on Clark Kingdom. Uh, you can find me at Spencer13H uh, on Twitter. Uh, I've been tweeting a lot less. Uh, I'm on Threads at the same thing. Um, Threads is great. Can't wait to see them update it. Um... Yeah, I, I'm not taking anybody in Magic Coaching right now, uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you are interested, shoot me an email. Uh, I'm not unwilling to talk about it at Spencer Hellman at gmail.com. Uh, Abe, what did you learn this week? What did I learn this week? I learned a lot about coverage. 
honestly. Hearing you talk about coverage and hearing you talk about uh, sports broadcasters, good stuff. Yeah, Jeff Jeff Gundy is great. I cannot believe ESPN let him go. They're actually insane. That's, that's a huge mistake. Uh, it is similar to when SG let uh, Hector Sullivan go. It actually makes no sense. Um, I I learned I learned an interesting thing this week. Just kind of talking about the I learned that I understand more about managing resources than I initially thought I did. Uh, this topic was broader than we had in our show notes, and I think that we both did a really good job of like expanding on our understandings of individual parts and. Uh, whether it's cheating on the resource, whether it's changing the resource, it it was, it is it is gratifying to know that you know more about it, but also like, okay, am I using this to my best? Like, if I if I go play a, a league, for example, with Mono Green tomorrow, do I actually have the mental capacity to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it? So, thank you everybody so much for listening. Uh, shout out to Mason. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. And uh, shout out to Abe. Thank you so much for for joining me for such a long time today. Let's do this bonus episode plus this. You're great, man. Love it here. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. I- I'm a pretty okay guy. Bye.